Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Waffle Press Podcast Retrospectives. I'm your host, Diego Crespo, and we are talking about the Halloween series. There's a lot of them. You know who else is here to talk about them? Matt Garingo. Merry New Year. Yes, Matt. Do you know what today is? Uh, it's actually, it's the 19th of December, so... On the day of release, this will be the first retrospective of the year. Hey. Happy New Year's. It's a reboot. Thank Christ. <laughs> new year, new Michael Myers, new director, new podcast, new- which is a frequent thing with this podcast, and maybe it shouldn't have been. New continuity which is also a frequent thing with this franchise. All the other Halloween sequels are bizarre in their own unique way. This one is mostly just kind of uncomfortable it's, to me. It's very, uh, it's a strange one. Um, it's an unpleasant film, but it's like trying to be unpleasant. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that, I'm not sure if that makes it better. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, would you like to talk about your feelings on Rob Zombie as a filmmaker prior to this, or do you want to hold off on that? Um, I've always kind of liked Rob Zombie. Uh, I like House of Thousand Corpses, which is a movie that totally falls apart like halfway <laughs> through. Um, I like actually, you know what? You know what won me over to Rob Zombie? What? Um, I was reading an interview with him, and I think I'm gonna I might get the details wrong, but he's always like wanted to make a biopic of Groucho Marx. <laughs> I think it's Groucho Marx he wants to make a biopic about. But, like, no one will let him because all they want him to do is, like, horror and, like, music-related things. That's kind of sad. Yeah, it's sad. And, like, but the idea that, like, he's got this Groucho Marx biopic in his back pocket, it, like, it gives, like, that's, like, all right. Because then it's, like, it's, he's not just horror guy, you know? Yeah. Someone should hook him up with Netflix or something for that. Like, I think that'd be interesting. Anything, and I hope it's I hope it's Groucho Marx and not some other person that I'm getting like mixed yeah. up with, <laughs> well, like, like actually like Adolf that, Hitler or something like that. No, like that's I'm his passion sure project. Like, like my brain says Groucho, but maybe it was like Houdini. I think it's Groucho though. I think he wanted to do a Groucho Marx movie. I mean, you have the whole scene in Devil's Rejects with the critic who's obsessed with the Marx Brothers, <laughs> which is one of the best scenes in any movie ever. <laughs> it's just so dumb. Uh, I am also actually, uh, I'd go as far as calling myself uh, a fan of Rob Zombie. I don't think his films always work, but he's definitely uh, someone who has his own style. And I, uh, I, I love The Devil's Rejects. That is a deeply unsettling film as well, but that's like his peak as a filmmaker, I'd say. Like all the pieces yeah. really come together in that one. Uh, I kind of like House of a Thousand Corpses, but I'm not crazy about it. It's, it's there. It got my attention. He he does a lot that like no normal filmmaker would do, and I'm not sure if it's just he's that creative or if he's just like not that like schooled in film. I, I know that's like might sound like an insult, but like he's got he's got a unique voice. At the end of the day, uh, it might not be. It, it's kind of like I don't know if it's like genuinely unique or if it's like Marilyn Manson unique. <laughs> yeah, you know? I know when you see his movies, you don't see too many. Like his, that's not actually not true. That a lot of people started doing his thing. Um, a lot of direct to DVD horror seem to be trying to be House of a Thousand Corpses for whatever reason. Um, but someone at some point said, Hey, let's give him the Halloween franchise. 
which is it, it seems like an odd choice. It is. Uh, I I would argue that it definitely was an odd choice. And uh, we should also mention that in between Halloween Resurrection and Rob Zombie's Halloween, uh, Mustafa Akkad and I believe his daughter were uh, uh, tragically killed in a terror attack, I believe, in Jordan. Uh, mm-hmm. So everything was kind of up in the air up at that point because the Akkad family was or uh, are the rights holders for Michael Myers in the Halloween franchise. So well wishes to all them. That's a very sad uh, tragedy that happened. Check. Everything was kind of up in the air after that, and no one knew where the franchise was going after Resurrection. So, uh, and that movie did not do very well. Yeah, they, so. I really don't think they knew. Well, I think it made money, but I just think that they always hit this problem where it's like, because there's just not enough story there, you know? Yeah. Like, where, where do you go? And I think around this time was, when they, this was coming out, this was the time of the remakes and reboots, but also the prequels like the we're going to go back and we're going to rediscover something or we're going to bring this classic character back but give him an edge in some way and so that's what this movie kind of decided to do it decided to be both a prequel and a remake which is uh an interesting (laughs) choice to say the least i i i don't think that's a completely terrible idea but it's a risky one and I'll be up front. I don't think it pays off entirely here or very much. Uh, yeah, I forgot how many uh, how many of those like horror remakes and prequels came out. Like even like fucking Paul Schrader initially did a prequel to The Exorcist, right? Yeah, he did yeah, he did that Exorcist prequel that then like went and reshot like the whole goddamn yeah. thing. Rennie Harlan. Which is very different filmmaking. Um, that's crazy. Looking back, that's crazy to think that happened. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Run, run this down. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> fucking, these fucking guys. All Platinum Dunes, by the way. Yeah, they, they, they did the Hitcher, too. The Hitcher, yeah. I, I, I never saw either version, so I'm I'm out of touch. The Hitcher is kind of overrated. Mm. Well, it's Eric Red. It's got, I, I like I like Eric Red. Yeah, it's got Rutger Hauer. Um, it's got some moments. I've just never, like, I don't know. The whole thing never totally worked mm. for me. Uh, and Rutger Hauer didn't even seem to enjoy oh, it that much. Poor guy. I've seen interviews with him where he was like, "This, this script sucked," but I brought something to it. <laughs> like, All right, Rutger Hauer. Um, but they did, uh, I think, I think the Nightmare remake was later. Yeah. Uh, Friday the 13th and Nightmare came out like 2009, 2010, and they were kind of trailing off. Uh, neither of them really hit. Do you remember they were talking about Platinum Dunes for like ever was trying to remake the birds? Do you remember that? I remember hearing that. I never knew it was Platinum Dunes. I remember it was Platinum Dunes. Like, they were talking about, like, we're going to remake The Birds. Because, like, they... Because Texas Chainsaw Remake was, like, a huge hit. And then, like, they did a couple more remakes. And they're like, The Birds, that's one everyone wants. I don't know. Like, they... they For some reason, they thought they could do The Birds. And I don't know. They just... It never... It was, like, always in development. And then it just never went anywhere. That's weird. Um, yeah, I, I guess... I mean, it's... I, you know what? I bet you... It was. They couldn't figure out how to make that story work with fucking teenagers. <laughs> like, 
I'm on the bet that's what happened. That was the other big thing is that horror movie because they remade The Omen. Do you remember that? There you go. That, that's the other one. It wasn't Platinum Dunes, but that was the other one. 666, yeah. you know. It was June 6, 2006. Oh, ooh. Ooh. That marketed so, itself, though. I, I guess. Fuck it. Yeah, but 666 is like a... It's not even really a thing. <laughs> like, and I, I could go in... I could go on a whole thing about how it's not a Satan thing, but... No, but like... Uh, the general... Like, the average Joe doesn't know that. Well, no, the average Joe doesn't know that because they've only seen the fucking Omen. <laughs> uh, they did that and I, I remember they the actors in that I think a big thing about that movie not working is that the two leads were like younger people like it was like Lee Shriver like when he was like kind of just hot TV actor and I think Gregory Peck like being like an older dude is what makes the omen work you know mm-hmm. um, like if they had done like like I don't know maybe George Clooney now I think he'd be good like a ho- good horror protagonist I don't know, what was the did Platinum Dunes do Hills Have Eyes? I don't know if no, that was Fox. I remember because uh, okay. Fox Atomic was going to be like their horror movie label. And they did the Hills of Eyes two, the same year that Twenty Eight Weeks Later came out. Mm. Twenty Eight Weeks Later, I I really like that movie, but I hate Twenty Eight Weeks Later. <sighs> Not getting into that now. Twenty Eight Weeks Later is like the best like opening thirty minutes of like a horror movie I've ever seen. Like the oh, the beginning of Twenty Eight Weeks Later is amazing, and then it, it, like the last act is just terrible. And well, The Hills of Ice like, Two killed Fox Atomic because it was just like a disaster. Apparently, that's a shame. I like the I actually like the Hills of Ice remake more than the original. I did. Yeah, I'm not West crazy about Craven, it either, but like, yeah, it's not. Wes Craven always had like really good ideas that like he should have given other people. Uh, I like Wes Craven. I love Wes Craven, but. I feel like some of his stuff would have worked better in other people's hands. Wes Craven was a genius, but just because you're a genius doesn't always mean you're going to knock it out of the park. But Wes Craven is also like, God bless him, rest in peace, was responsible for some of the greatest films out of any genre. Did, do you remember when they were starting to re, like when they got, got desperate to like remake stuff, they started remaking like Last House on the Left. Oh fuck, I forgot about that. Like why remake that? You know, like that's... Does just, that one star Ryan Reynolds? Does it? He, no, he was Amityville. Oh, there he we did go. the Amityville re- Also, uh, what the is, fuck? Which is a fucking terrible movie. But all the Amityville films are terrible. Um, that's the second time we brought up the Amityville franchise in on this series. Amityville retrospective coming 2019. Oh, God. I think I might. I, I would, like, kill myself. <laughs> like, fuck that. That is... Nothing happens in those goddamn movies. Like, I think money disappears at one point. I think that's the worst thing that happens. Jesus. So, well, you know what's the worst thing that happens in a Rob Zombie Halloween remake? Um, we better save that because it's pretty yeah, bad. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a moment in this one where it was like, oh, oh. Right. <laughs> um, but let's go over the fucking cast for this movie. Yes, please. Um, because we got brilliant casting as Malcolm McDowell as Doctor. Oh, Lewis. I was gonna. I'm so glad. That this casting exists. Malcolm McDowell fucking rules. I'm sorry, I'm not going to try to interject on every person, because there's a lot, but I love Malcolm mm. McDowell. Literally all, I think pretty much everyone about the list rules in some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Malcolm McDowell in particular, because he, I love Malcolm McDowell because he seems to just say yes to everything. <laughs> like he's all over the place in terms of his career. And he's just, but as a, as Loomis in this, he brings, he has an interesting take on the character. 
Um, this movie might have my second favorite Dr. Loomis moment, um, which I will save because it's like at the very end of the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'll tell you about it. Um, so we got Malcolm McDowell as Dr. Loomis. We have Brad DeRiff as, as Sheriff Brackett. Woo! So good for him. He doesn't have a lot to do in this. Um, of course, because it's a Rob Zombie movie, we have Sherry Moon Zombie as Michael Myers' mother, Deborah Myers. Um, we have William Forsythe, Richard Lynch, Udo Kier. Like when Udo Kier popped up in this, because I, I totally forgot how many people were in this goddamn thing. I was like, all right, it's fucking Udo Kier. Like, <laughs> oh, to, to tie also, it back into my other favorite horror franchise right now, he is one of the villains in the new Puppet Master series. Oh, shit, that's great. Also, a lot of people I'm listening, they, some of them have maybe 30 seconds of screen time. <laughs> so, <laughs> blink and you'll miss them. Uh, one of those ones is, uh, luckily gets two scenes, which is one more than Udo Kier, is Clint Howard. Fucking the great Clint Howard pops up for like two minutes in this. Um, Danny Trejo is a janitor. Yeah. Bill Mosley is a rapist. Mm. so that's not as good d d wallace is in this uh ken forey civil danning has like two lines sid Haig is a really distracting cameo <laughs> and fucking fu- <laughs> fucking mickey dolan's of the monkeys as a gun shop owner <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> and I, that's like there's all there's more but like Wow. I think Rob Zombie did this just to hang out with, like, his buddies. I don't know. You know what? You know what stuff like this tells me? Because all of Rob Zombie's movies have, like, these really weird and awesome cameos for fans of the genre stuff. That Rob Zombie is either really good at pitching his movies, or he's a really great guy to work with and hang out with. Or both. Or both. both. I think someone let him do whatever he wanted with this movie. And so he just cast that. And to be honest, if I had unlimited power, I would probably cast all of these people. I don't care what the film is. <laughs> it could be fucking Paddington 3. All these actors would pop up. <laughs> That's the Halloween sequel. Uh, it's, a ho- it's, it's a Paddington celebrates Halloween. And he comes across Michael Myers. Oh, God, he might be the one to finally break Myers. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't think people understand how powerful Paddington is. He, he takes on the prison industrial complex in Paddington 2 and he wins. He wins. <laughs> so. the prison industrial complex. <laughs> Paddington 2 is like the best movie ever made. It's like in the top five this year. <laughs> yeah, like easily. Because this has been a pretty good year for like lower budget movies. Fuck yeah. But yeah, that's the fucking cast of this film. <laughs> Oh, and uh, and she doesn't have a lot to do in this, but she's going to come up in conversation. Uh, the great Danielle Harris comes, returns to the Halloween franchise, and that makes me very happy. It's Annie Brackett. Yeah. A character from the uh, the original film. If you look really quick, they even kind of look similar. They do at times. There's a couple moments where it's like, oh, wow. Um, but I got a little... We'll get into that when we get to that part of the movie. Because <laughs> that's... Uh, there's a lot of interesting. You got a little. There's a lot. I imagine. I had a lot of emotions, um, which I honestly I think that was kind of the whole movie. A lot of emotion. Yeah. That's there's... that's on the back of the Blu-ray. <laughs> a lot of emotion. Yes, a lot of emotion. Matt Garengo, the Waffle Press. 
<laughs> well, at least it's better than putting fucking Ridley Scott retired bitch on the fucking Alien Covenant DVD. <laughs> Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson-like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered and a ten-year-old boy being held in custody. You haven't said a word for 15 years. This summer, Rob Zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale. All right, so let's get into the fucking movie. We're going to go uh, we're going to go in order of events because you kind of have to with the way this movie works. No. We should All right, so first of all, the movie opens with a quote. <laughs> a quote from Dr. Loomis. So it's a fictional character giving a fictional quote about a fictional man. <laughs> and the quote is, The darkest souls are not those which choose to exist within the hell of the abyss, but those which choose to break free from the abyss and move silently among us. Right off the bat, I was already like, because I, because I honestly, I didn't remember a fucking thing about this movie. What? We, there, there's a lot to unpack in that quote. <laughs> um. So, so the hell of the abyss. You know, kind of, it, it's a little bit like the Nietzsche quote. You know, I think a lot of us have heard, "He who fights with monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster." And if you gaze long into the into an abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. You know, I was gonna I was gonna do a thing where I kind of tried to explain what Nietzsche meant by the abyss and what this movie might mean by the abyss, but I don't know if I want to do that now. Okay. Because um, I'm not a philosophy student, but also it's just like there's a we got a lot. But it's but so like the movie's saying that what the fuck is the movie saying with that quote? What Dago, help me. <laughs> I think this is a rare case of a sequel which wasn't even like initially planned or wanted by Rob Zombie helped me recontextualize my feelings on I want to save film. all I want to just divorce that cuz we don't know we're getting a sequel with this yet. No, no, I know. That's why it's hard for me to talk about because I think this is trying to do both too much and too little. Too much in the front half of the film? Yeah. To really like kind of find a direction for itself, like its own identity apart from uh Rob Zombie style X's choices, which are clearly his. But in terms of, like, story and, like, the narrative thrust, it feels... It's trying to en encompass uh, Michael Myers as both a broken human being and also, like, an unstoppable force of nature and evil. Which is funny because, like, that's the problem with every Halloween sequel at this point, too. Yeah. It, but it's it, a totally... It kind of sticks yeah, to it's, that. <laughs> it's just, like, it's approaching the problem differently and introduces entirely new problems in doing so. This movie, it's trying to answer questions, that the original film, that are either implied by the original film or aren't mentioned in the original film and are only the product of the sequel. One of the big things this movie tries to answer is why is he obsessed with his sister so much? And I don't even know if it really gives that great an answer in this film. Um, but it's, but that's also a question that wasn't a problem for the original because that wasn't a thing in the original. This movie, it kind of makes sense 
in a way to remake the original because to make it and say from the beginning that Michael Myers is uh, Laurie Strode's brother changes the whole nature of that film. But I think it's it's kind of I don't know it's just it. I think it's what this movie spends a lot of time trying to answer that question, and then it just it complicates things in a way that the original film didn't have to do. But then, like it's it so wants to be the original film, but also want to be its own beast, and it never can be both those things. Yeah, it really is a film like at war with itself. Like, could you read the quote one more time? Because I don't have it written down. So the, the Loomis quote. Yeah. Um, the darkest souls are not those which choose to exist within the hell of the abyss, but those which choose to break free from the abyss and move silently among us. One, that's way too fucking wordy. Two... I might have written it wrong, so that could be me. But... <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with like uh, a wordy quote like that. Just It feels like it's trying to be maybe a little more uh, Where's that? fancy, we'll call it. <laughs> I was going to do something like, all right, Nietzsche had ideas about how we construct ourselves, like the aesthetics we choose for ourselves. Um, and that it wasn't like, there wasn't like a moral duty to it, but there was, it, it means like how we portray ourselves, like what we decide to make ourselves. But if we look too much at people who aren't fully formed, quote unquote, like that are monsters, the monsters of Nietzsche's quote, uh, and I'm, I'm explaining this point. I know, like, a bunch of philosophy students just fucking shot the shotguns into their mouths. And <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, I think, like, again, I don't know, because it's, like, it's either this really deep quote or it's just a very literal explanation of what happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because Michael Myers literally breaks free of the hell of the abyss, <laughs> which is his life, and then... Is a silent killer that walks among us. Like, that literally is what happens in the movie. So, like, I'm either, I think I'm, I'm constantly with this whole movie, I'm like, I'm either overthinking everything or I'm just not thinking about it enough, you know? It, it, it's bizarre because, like, I hate the fucking YouTube style film critics, uh, says the person <laughs> who uploads to YouTube. But, like, I, I'm here to watch a... When someone says, like, I'm here to watch a movie, I'm not here to watch, like, an art house type thing. And they're very dismissive of, like, um, stylistic stuff. Like, you hear the complaint often uh, about style over substance. But more often than not, the, the style, like, helps tell the yeah. substance. It's, it's a way to get that idea across. Like, techniques and form are there for a purpose more often than not. Uh, outside of just telling it verbatim through characters. This is one of those instances where maybe Rob Zombie was kind of either restrained, or maybe not even by producers, but like he tried to extend himself too much in certain areas and like the direction of Michael's story, but there just wasn't enough there in certain aspects. Like, all fans of the Halloween series know that there's definitely a story to tell with Michael in the better installments around him, but I, I think the approach did it... I think he approached it wrong. I, I th Maybe he was too ambitious in certain aspects, because it feels like like empty space, gross space often, uh, and definitely a Rob Zombie space, but 
I I don't know. It's, it's I, a bizarre I, film, and I, I I'm ho- I hope I'm making some sense right now because I'm working working this out as I go along. No, no, I get what you're saying. I actually I think I probably agree with you that he overextended himself or was like too ambitious. I think the big thing about this that kind of kills it is that he's very much going like with his own story for most of it. And then in the last, and then the second half, he has to tell someone else's story and that becomes a problem. Um, because then like he can't, he can't really follow through with all of his ideas because he's constantly having, having to go back to this formula. Um, and I think that's why Halloween two, when we get to it is free from a lot of it and it, it ends up, going in different directions although i haven't seen two i think since it came out and i didn't like it so um i'm wondering how i will feel revisiting it now that i've just rewatched this one and taken way too many notes it's a loaded film uh, for better and for worse it's one of those ones where it's one of those movies where i always have this problem where like it's a loaded film i know there's a lot going on but like i ask myself like is it worth figuring out you know i get what you mean like I, I kind of have that with a lot of films. Um, I mean, not I, I don't mean to bring it up, but that's kind of my feeling with like those Prometheus and Alien Covenant films. Yeah, okay. Like, I, I'm really not trying to drag you or anything. I, I get what you mean. All those movies, like there's very like really Scott clearly had a lot that was going on in his head when he made those movies, but like I don't enjoy watching them. <laughs> so I'm like I don't really care to figure out what he was trying to say, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh. And that's that's probably on me. I, I know a lot of people get a lot out of those movies. I get nothing. Um, but here I get a little bit of stuff, um, which is that. Uh, all right, I guess I'm I'm just gonna cut to the chase. Uh, Michael Myers kind of wants to fuck his mom. Mm. That's what this movie's kind of about. <laughs> he wants to have sex with his mother. And that's explicitly what the first, like, 30 minutes of this movie are about. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about, on the Hannibal Lecter retrospective, how um, when you're dealing with, with fictional serial killers, you're not making a documentary, but there still has to be, like, some sort of tact when you're approaching stories like this. Because these are very real um, crimes and disturbances that have happened in the real world. And... It needs to be handled appropriately. Uh, I don't think I'm smart enough to determine every like <laughs> nook and cranny of that direction or scenario, but I don't think it works here. Um, and I want to be polite because I am a Rob Zombie fan, but it I don't think it fits. Not just with the style, but with the story he's trying to tell. Uh- Michael Myers' sexual confusion, I guess we'll say, with his mother in this seems to be Rob Zombie's answer to why Michael Myers is obsessed with his family, or at least the women in his family. Um, he wants to possess them in a way, um, and I guess he, if he can't have them sexually, he murders them, which is what we find out. Uh, and that's a that's an, an answer. <laughs> Not sure if it's the uh, the right one. It's just it because cause it's like so long that we're like spending on this notion, and you kind of get it pretty quick. Um, we should mention that Sherry Moon Zombie plays uh, Michael Myers' mother, so we know Rob Zombie wants to fuck the mom, but 
But um, not your best joke, but that was okay. I'm just saying, like, I get where he got that idea somewhere. So, <laughs> uh, but and it's it the Myers household is shown to be a very abusive household. You know, it kind of takes like pages out of like what the idea of what what serial killers are that we know now that we didn't know in the '70s. We also mentioned that Kiss is like Kiss's God of Thunder plays in the opening of this. Um, so the 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 first half is like specifically in the '70s. So Mike Myers is now a kid in the '70s, and all the stuff that happens later is, uh, I guess that would be like '80s or '90s. Did they give dates? I didn't pick up on that. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think uh, it's like a, a mystical version yeah. of reality. By that point, it's reality. Rob the Zombie. Of Rob Zombie. The Rob Zombie's musical choices seem to be the most we get in terms of like date. You know. Yeah, which which I'm okay with. Just and to, Loomis, when yeah. we when we meet Loomis early yeah. on, he's got more of a like hippie doctor look than like uh, you know regular teacher look. <laughs> um, but uh, I I think that move's actually a like kind of important because like the myth of suburbia like had kind of cracked by the seventies, but it hadn't cracked in the fifties, which is I mean maybe not the fit like you know whenever the opening five minutes of the original Halloween take place. Uh, here we're getting, like, this whole idea is that Michael Myers' violence is an extension of the violence in his home, which is just an extension of the violence in Michael Myers' community. Like, the whole world is very bad <laughs> in in this movie. Uh, Haddonfield is a bad place. Uh, Rob Zombie seems to be at war with everyone. <laughs> It you feels that, that way. Because um, there's no, there's not a single pleasant character, really, in this film. No. Uh, everyone's, like, super aggressive. Like, we should also mention uh, William Forsyth, who is uh, the stepfather, or, like, mother's boyfriend. I don't know what his total relationship was. He very explicitly has been beating Michael. I mean, he has a broken hand from beating Michael. Um, and he thinks that uh, Michael might be, quote-unquote, a queer um, because of how strange he acts. Uh, we should also mention that uh, the murder that he commits isn't like, Michael commits isn't a spontaneous thing. It isn't like, oh, he was a normal kid, and then one day he murders someone. He, he begins, again, regular serial killer way, where he starts by murdering animals, we find out. We find out he's been murdering animals for a while, including his pet rat, which is like the opening. Um, again, it's like, is, is Rob Zombie trying to, like, destroy the idea of, like, someone just goes crazy, which was something people believed when the original Halloween comes out, and something that just isn't really true in a modern context, like, with our modern understanding of violent criminals. Part of me is glad that that was the approach he took, but it's bizarre to me. The world is so ugly and vicious already that, not that you need this kind of contrast or anything, but... It's not an exa exactly lighthearted story. Anyways, uh, this is something to kind of make it more felt other than just, like, an aggressive assault on, like, your eyeballs and ears. Yeah. I mean, all, all Rob Zombie stuff is kind of uh, aggressive and, like, nasty. But here yeah, that's, it's... That's, that's his aesthetic. Yeah, and, like, again, like, I, I liked his stuff more often than not, actually. But here it feels 
misguided. This one was a little off-putting, more so than any of the other stuff, I think. Um, I think it's off-putting in what some of the very specific things that ended up happening, but I'm not sure, because he's clearly trying to do something where, you know, the, the this quote at the beginning of the film, the hell of the abyss, which seems to be just the world in general. <laughs> and I think he's he's trying to make a point, but... I don't know if, I just don't know if it totally works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should mention that at school, Michael is bullied by one of the spy kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Junie Cortez. Yeah. Who is then beaten to death by Michael. Yeah, he's beaten to death in, in a, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, we should say he teases Michael about uh, his mother being a stripper. So Michael Myers' mother is a stripper. That comes into play. <laughs> you don't uh, say. Yeah, um, and that's another thing. So you just mentioned he kills this bully after school one day, beats him to death, and that's that's Michael Myers's first human murder. Um, which again changes the whole dynamic of he just kills his sister one night. Now he doesn't just do that; he kills this bully, and then he kills his mother's boyfriend, and then he kills he kills his sister's boyfriend, and then he kills the sister. So he kills four people in one night. Yeah, the body count is markedly different from the first film the basic structure of that opening like uh i am really into movies right now that 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 kind of break down our, our ideal of like the the white picket fence you know the american family the american dream kind of thing like uh these romanticized fantasies that just aren't a real thing you know uh that's why i always uh, that's why i was looking forward to the adaptation of it from the previous year and it kind of let me down in yeah, regards to that. Yeah, didn't do fucking anything with that stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's a good thing to, to tackle in, in, in our art right now, especially because of well, uh, it's weird. our political climate. I don't know, but does it ever really stick? Because we've been doing this since the 80s. No, but I think that's also why I'm so like in love with Halloween 3, in spite of its uh, various faults, mm. that it's... It's not subtle, especially nowadays, but it, it directly addresses things head on that uh, I, I wish more brought up, were more brought up in movies. Mm. I don't know, I'm not asking for a lot, but I, I think ideally this should be right up my alley, but it's just so like draining to sit through this for me. And I, I don't like saying that. I'll be honest, I wasn't, it wasn't that draining for me. It was, I was very engaged for a lot of this. Um, mostly because I didn't remember a lot of it. I was never bored. You know, that was one thing. I, I, I did get bored like later. at some point. Uh, I, I wonder when. <laughs> we should mention that the reason Michael seems to decide Halloween's the night he's going to kill his sister, he starts like, he, he starts compulsively wearing this clown mask. Like there's, they're each, they start playing up the mask thing more, but that'll, I guess that'll come into play a little later. But the reason it seems the movie implies that he kills his sister is because the sister won't go trick-or-treating with him because she wants to stay home and have sex with her boyfriend. Which, again, it's like, because that's something that's kind of implied in the original when we have the POV shot of Michael watching her interact with her boyfriend. It's not explicit. So, again, I'm not sure if Rob Zombie's trying to say something or if he's just explicitly stating what was implied in the original. I, I don't know either. Uh, I, I feel like it's the latter. 
but I, I think I'd have to like look up interviews with him and stuff now. I, I didn't find a lot on this actually. And that's where we have a, a moment where we see lonely Michael Myers uh, when his sister won't go trick or treating with him. He's just sitting around, and it's that's intercut with his mother stripping at the strip club because that's where she is on Halloween night. Um, again, trying to make those points kind of clear. So he goes, he kills his step, he kills the maybe stepfather, maybe mother's boyfriend, I don't remember which, and then kills the sister's boyfriend, and goes to kill his sister, and then he just suddenly has the Michael Myers mask. No, 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 the boyfriend puts it on when they're trying to fuck. Oh, okay, I totally spaced out during that <laughs> moment. It shows you how, it shows you how comfortable these sex scenes were. I thought it just, I thought he was actually saying something kind of important here, but I guess not. Um, I think it was better when it just appeared out of nowhere. We should also mention right before he kills the sister, the sister mistakes her brother for the boyfriend attempting foreplay. Which again adds to uh, the weird like sexual possession thing going on in this story. Um. I'm not I'm not crazy about this direction. I mean, honestly, that's something that you could explore. I, it's a thing that tends to be true about serial killers. Um, there's a lot that... I mean, a lot of it is driven by a hatred of women or just a, a, a hatred of the fact that they can't own women. You yeah. Know? And a lot of serial killers seem to have that. So I think he's like trying to take real-life inspiration and put it into this. But again, I don't know if it totally works. He kills everyone. It's vicious. Sister dies pretty viciously. Um, doesn't, but doesn't kill the baby sister who will grow up to be Lori. Um, waits for the mom to get home, and then the police show up, take the bodies, arrest Michael, and then there's a. Do you remember the freeze frame shot? Kind of. Um. No, actually. All the like, there's a. It's a shot of all the police officers and medics. They're all like, they all freeze in place, but they're clearly just standing still. Because all the lights keep flashing. And the camera pans over to Michael in the back of a police car. And then he turns and looks directly into the camera. And I feel like that's saying something, but I can't unpack it. I got nothing for that, yeah. I should also mention that I literally, like, here's how much preparation I do for the show. Like, I watched this once, like, two <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> Uh, and I didn't like bother to like rewatch it or like, and it usually takes me multiple viewings to like really get a movie. Like, I mean, like yeah. I could talk like till the end of time about like what Rob's on, what I think Rob Zombie's doing with the devil's rejects in particular. And like how much I get out of that movie. Uh, I think his direction there, like his choices are very clear. Uh, but here I, I, it's really, uh, it feels like, like too much in that I, I can't come away talking about anything in particular. Like I'm, we're just, I'm just rambling. Like I think this. this is just what happens when you try to do this sort of things with like remakes or like with franchise films, you know, I think this is a problem you tend to hit. I actually think that's a big reason why not to, I bring, I brought it up too many fucking times, but like Batman V Superman, <laughs> I think a big problem with that, not totally working is that, there's so much baggage that comes with those characters that it muddles like any message you're trying to do. <laughs> Cause like everyone has a, a very, we have very specific ideas about what those characters are. 
and it's sometimes hard to tell when filmmakers are like trying to deconstruct it or like just react to it or just trying to recreate it and it, this this ends up being one of those cases for me where i don't totally get what what he's going for all the time but again like it's one of those things where it's like there's so much of it and then you kind of go is it really just about him wanting to have sex with his mother <laughs> it's like that we really need 26 minutes of that yeah the, the opening is is too long for what it's trying to accomplish. I always think of just how in Lincoln's second inaugural, he sums up the entire Civil War by saying, and the war came. And that's it. <laughs> that's, his, that's his take on the Civil War. <laughs> America's greatest yeah, president. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, I, you're saying, I, I wrote all these notes. You're something. This is why I probably should have rewatched it, but didn't. But I wrote a lot of notes of things that I was like, oh, he's clearly telegraphing something with this, and then it never came back into the film. <laughs> so, uh, Michael Myers is now sent to, uh, oh, God, I just forgot the name of the asylum he always goes to. Oh, um, something Grove? Um, Smith's Grove. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Um, he gets sent to Smith's Grove. Uh, Dr. Loomis is now seeing him full time. Dr. Loomis was actually introduced before Michael committed the murders uh, as the school brought him in because the school found out he'd been killing animals. Uh, so Loomis knew Myers before all this. And now that Michael's in prison, he's still, I mean, not prison, in this asylum, he's still talking at this point um, and talks directly with Loomis. He doesn't go completely silent after the murder like most of the other films imply uh he, but michael claims he didn't commit the murders and he doesn't and sometimes he seems to think the murders didn't actually take place i don't i don't, I don't know what they're going for right I, Is it something like michael was legitimately legitimately having issues i with? don't know again it becomes well then we start getting into this thing where he, he starts making the masks and he starts wearing masks compulsively loomis like shuts his shit down when he's like black's my favorite color and he's like black is actually the absence of color michael and it's like jesus christ dude (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't doing it like hey there's a fun fact he was like actually you're wrong it's not a color um kids already clearly got issues man you know like maybe just back off this movie seems to like put a lot of shit on loomis you know yeah Um, which i i kind of enjoyed I, I do too, um, but uh, we then have Danny Trejo as the friendly uh, janitor. Woo! Yeah, and he says, uh, he was like, "Hey, kid, don't get, don't let the cell get to you." He's like, "Learn to live in your head. No walls can stop you in there." <laughs> and then that seems to lead in this idea of Michael, like he's regressing into himself, and there's just this outward self. That's like, there's now these two. Michaels, which he can only really, he doesn't want to show himself. He only wants to wear these masks because he feels like they hide his ugliness or something. And again, like it becomes confusing. Like, are there two Michaels? Is there a Michael that was the normal kid that just got shut off one day and then the evil Michael took over? Or did this Michael emerge from him? Or I don't know. Again, like it's, I can't figure out exactly what he's going for. He's doing like two like the two selves thing, but it's just, it's, it's like, it's a lot. Lewis eventually says when he regresses really far, there's one part where he's like, I'm here to help you, Michael. And Michael's like, I need to get out of here. Like he wants to get out. Like he's already starting to get obsessed with breaking out. But again, it's like, 
I'm trying to like I, I I was trying to like put the pieces together the whole time and it just it was like never fitting. Um his mother still comes to visit him. But that eventually ends. And Michael finally fully redre- uh, um, regresses into the mere shape of a human being. To quote Loomis. And he kills uh, this nurse played by Sybil Danning who gives him shit. Like, she, he's holding the picture of... The mother brings a picture of young Michael with his baby sister. And then he's left alone with his nurse and the nurse goes, cute baby, couldn't be related to you. And that seems to set Michael off and he kills this nurse with a fork. Which, ouch. Which, yeah, ouch. <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, I, I kind of, it's weird that, that everyone in this movie is awful. Yeah. Like, I, I guess if Rob's always trying to make a point about that, but it's like, I, I'm going to pull, pull a U and bring a BVS. There's no counter argument to, to what he's presenting here, so... <laughs> Well, there doesn't always need to be a counter-argument. Maybe not, but there maybe needed to be something else that at least to make it stick. Something to help drive it home other than other than just being here. Because if the second half is as strong as the first, at least, or maybe if stuff came around better, then yeah. m- maybe, maybe, maybe I'd react to this more positively. Maybe, I, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it, again, it's like, there's a lot set up, and it just it doesn't really ever seem to come together. It, honestly, it just feels like he's he's spending a long time to explain why things happen in the original film that we didn't need explanations for. Um, but after this nurse killing, the mom goes home, and while watching family movies when things were better, but they really weren't, um, which I guess is some something he's trying to do. The mom shoots herself and kills herself. We should mention that the image she kills herself, the last image she watches is young Michael uh, pointing at, uh, in, a, in a family video, um, pointing at the mother who is now pregnant with the girl who will grow up to be Lori. I just thought that was an interesting little choice. Um, and after that, we cut to 15 years later, where Michael Mars is now like nine feet tall. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on... Michael as something that imposing. I think that's a mistake. Um, he looks like a behemoth, and it's 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 you know it's just it's a little too much. It makes me think that like there's not deeper things going on here. You know, it's like Michael is big because he's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of get that feeling too. But again, Rob Zombie is a much more talented filmmaker than like. We listed all those horror movie remakes, the prequels and, and stuff that were coming around the same time. And those were very much trying to be like, well, this is like the grounded, realistic take on things. Over explanations and like, and stuff. And Rob Zombie, it still feels like he's trying to do something here. And like his decision to make Michael that big and imposing feels very like generic almost. Yeah. And it's, uh, that I think is one of the bigger mistakes in this. I, I know this movie works for some people, and I'm happy for them. I guess, but. yeah, and it doesn't totally fail for me. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, I, it's it's not a film I would revisit very often. I don't, I honestly, I don't, I can't imagine someone who would want to watch some of this. <laughs> I was going to say, um, 
I like, don't think I'll be is pretty, watching this again. Devil's Rejects is pretty vicious too, but like there's kind of like a time where I could be like, yeah, I could see myself sitting down to rewatch that. Um, but this one is not, unless I was brought onto another podcast. <laughs> but uh, so 15 years, he hasn't spoken since the mother's suicide. And Loomis points out that 15 years is twice as long as his first marriage. And he's like, in a weird way, Michael, you've become my best friend. Shows you how fucked up my life is. And Loomis <laughs> is like, look, Michael, I've tried my best. I'm done. I can't help you. And that seems to be like, you know, he's like, I'm sorry, Michael. But it really seems more like just an excuse to go out and publish his book, The Devil's Eyes, The Story of Michael Myers. <laughs> which he goes on, like, lecture tours. Um, like... Where he's like, those eyes do not see what you and I see. And he call, he explicitly calls Michael Myers a psychopath. Uh, he's like, Michael Myers was created in a perfect storm of bad things. Which you're like, yeah, fucking no shit. <laughs> I guess one of the things I guess this film might be doing, because I really don't think it sides with Loomis. And I wonder if, like, because it's very explicit how much Michael, like, relied on his mother and how much how obsessed he is and i guess loomis spent 15 years with him and never put that together <laughs> and never attempted to engage with michael on that and then we get to uh the part of the movie where i i kind of turned on it <laughs> um which is there's a pretty fucked up rape scene in this i honestly i don't it's it was very unpleasant um and I guess all we can really... I'm not even going to give you what the setup is, but somehow two guards are raping someone in Michael Myers' cell. And they start fucking with his masks because he's adorned his wall with all sorts of different masks. Yeah, and that seems to be the thing that sets Michael off, and then he just starts killing, like, everyone in the asylum. It's... It's unnecessary. It's gross. I think there are other ways to get Michael, even in this iteration, to a breaking point. That wasn't so. But again, it's hard callous. because the way it's done, it's like the breaking point didn't even seem to be the raping. It seemed to be them fucking with the masks. Like, yeah, wow. like I don't even know how you, you you do it completely with this version because like you're juggling so many directions already with his uh and his identity by this point. To and, talk about the masks thing. Real quick, like, we also see, like, remember I, I talked about how Loomis schools Michael on, like, the absence of color is what black is? Yeah. Like, black is on one end, white's on the other, and then they, Michael's wearing the white mask at the end of the film. Help me here. No, I don't, I don't know what that means, but that it's something. It's something. It's maybe, like, like Michael's trying to, uh, those 15 years ha have been an absence. There you go. So he's uh, he's trying to fulfill that void i'm trying here <laughs> we should point out that he, uh when michael is killing everyone there's there's the scene where he kills danny trejo who's been his buddy in the hospital and he's like and when he's like trying to kill when he's killing him he's like i was always good to you mikey yeah that was fucked up that didn't matter i guess um so yeah he escapes and then clint howard who was his new doctor calls up loomis he's like he's escaped uh, i don't know <laughs> Then he goes to a truck stop and kills Ken Forey. <laughs> oh no, this is amazing. Uh, the showdown with Ken Forey is like two minutes long. Oh, it's so long. <laughs> and they actually destroyed that bathroom stall and they're beating the shit out of each other in. Yeah. Like with their bodies. So 
Ken Foy was already getting up there, so respect to him for that commitment. That must have been tough. Yeah. It was that's oh. actually I did I did like that shot of him beating him against the bathroom stall wall. <laughs> um and uh and now we're about uh, an hour into the film, and now we're gonna watch John Carpenter's Halloween for about an hour. <laughs> yeah. It's it's John Carpenter's Halloween against the lens of a Rob Zombie film. But it really isn't because it does it changes. But the problem a lot. is <laughs> Rob Zombie decided to change his lens to John Carpenter film. Yeah. Or an attempt at being a John Carpenter film. And I don't know what happened. Because he was swinging wide and totally in other directions that I wasn't on board with, but still his direction. And then he just well, started retracing the well, same old this steps. This is the stuff he had to film to get the job, I think. Now, when the studio goes, when, when the studio says we want a remake, they very explicitly want to see the scenes that we've already seen. Because yeah. they're like, we can market those scenes. And so he's like, well, I got to do some of this stuff. So yeah, so now let's start talking about the boogeyman, even though it doesn't totally fit in what I'm going for. Yeah, that's just completely, uh, it has no place in this movie. It's just. And we still have the whole moment of, you know, Laurie going up to the Myers house and Michael being inside. And she puts a package inside the house. We just mentioned Michael sniffs the package she leaves. So that's a moment. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like that's this is the part where it really just kind of settles into like the same movie, and that that's really when it loses momentum, and there's just not a ton to talk about. Um, we should mention Sid Dig. Um, Sid Dig. <laughs> Sid Hegg shows up as the grave digger, and he's t- Loomis has shown up because no one believes Loomis when he says Michael's going back to his hometown. Loomis actually seems to do both more and less than he did in the original film. Because <laughs> he waits till like the 11th hour before actually reaching out to the police. <laughs> um, but he rides around with the police and actually goes to places. Uh, Sid Haig's like, yeah, this doctor was treating fucking Michael Myers. He wrote a book. I think it was all it was shit. It was all blood money. And Loomis like very... Like quickly under his breath goes like, "Yeah, I read that book. It's a masterpiece." <laughs> <laughs> we got a very vain Doctor Loomis in this. Very different. Uh, that's something that remains different in these movies, I think. Which mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I like too because you, you can't really top crazy Doctor Loomis for Donald Pleasance. Mm-hmm. Like you're just never gonna match that. One thing though that I think he actually kind of did. It's weird. He, got, he he tried to capture some of the vernacular of the original film with the teenagers. Like, Linda in the original says totally like every other word. And he tried to do something similar in this one, but it doesn't really make sense because they're not kids of the 70s now. Yeah, so some of the lines are also similar in the second half of this. Yeah. Like like the Boogeyman one you brought up. And they just... They, they feel out of place almost. And I don't think we ever get full credit to uh, Deborah Hill in the first one of these we did, oh, but yeah, yeah. she's a big part of why the the teenage dialogue and works so well. And it feels yes. authentic. Yeah, it feels authentic because of her touch. There you go. And here it doesn't feel authentic, mostly because we've seen it already before, but also because uh, the sense of time and place, which isn't inherently a problem for me, um, it, it still doesn't feel like something... 
uh, relatable to char- the characters. It feels like an afterthought. Because by the second half, it's not commenting on anything anymore. You know, you, you know what's a weird thing about this? You could have totally removed the babysitter element of this film. Yeah, that's just there because it's in the first Yeah, home. you don't need it because, I mean, Linda in this, she goes and she goes to have sex with her boyfriend in the abandoned Myers house and that's what gets her killed. That's the other thing, like, Michael sees Laurie pretty early and then waits, like, a long amount of time for actually doing anything. And he just kind of hangs out at the house and then Linda shows up with her boyfriend and he kills both of them. And they do that scene where he puts on the ghost costume and for some reason she believes her boyfriend has grown two feet <laughs> they've had sex and doesn't think it's weird. There's a lot of mixing of sex and violence in this. Um... She's, like, completely naked when she gets killed. Well, then later, like, Annie Brackett gets, like, fucking basically tortured. Um, that was pretty uncomfortable. Because that, that went on so long. Mm. I'm, um, I'm not crazy about that. And she's literally, like, by the end of it, she's just, like, crying, like, hysterical on the floor, a, floor, a bloody mess with her breasts just hanging out. It's just, it's very, like... Did we, like, walk into, like, a Lars von Trier film? Like, what the fuck? Like... Yeah. That was pretty bad. Um, and I should mention that when that happens and Annie gets, Annie gets viciously attacked but lives. Um, which is interesting. Uh, Brad DeRiff, who is her father and uh, the sheriff in this film, um, doesn't believe Loomis for some reason. But then is like, oh yeah, but I covered up this adoption that took place. <laughs> That, that was a little whatever. Um, and there's one part where, like, Loomis is like, Michael, he's not a human being. He's, at one point he says, like, he has nothing inside. Something is missing. And again, I can't tell if, like, this movie is, like, Loomis doesn't know what he's talking about or, like, if Loomis is actually dropping hints at, like, what's going on. Um, and at one point he's like, Doc, I believe you are describing the Antichrist. And Loomis is like, maybe I am. Uh, mm. and they come barreling into the film and so when it turns into Laurie and Michael facing off there's fucking 30 minutes left in this goddamn movie it just keeps going and it does one of those like it and also has like a fake out ending where you think the, the horribleness is over but then it's not yeah it's it feels even longer <laughs> um, I remember you complaining about that in our Alien Covenant discussion and this is like I swear to God, I was watching this and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, I, I know how he feels now. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, by the end, I was completely just like shut off from this. I, it was, the it was one very thing uncomfortable. Does, he doesn't try to kill Lori. He kidnaps her and takes her back to the Meyer house and tries to get her to understand that she is his sister, but she doesn't understand and like stabs him. Yeah. And it. This finale just raises more questions than anything. Because it's like... Why? I Honestly, it's so weird because I feel like 2 answers a lot of these questions in really bizarre ways. Oh, yeah. They like they really do feel like, like a two-parter, but it was not made that way, you know? But um, I, should get, I should mention, I, I telegraphed earlier that my second favorite Loomis moment is in this film. Yes, yes, yes. Please tell so, me. Uh, Michael gets stabbed, Lori gets away, Loomis comes, shoots him, saves, saves the day. 
They're getting into the police car that Loomis has stolen, I think. Um, and she goes, um, was that the boogeyman? And he's like, as a matter of fact, it was. He doesn't actually say that. He says it like a different way. Um, and then they're about to drive off, but Michael comes back and breaks the window and pulls her out. And if you listen closely, <laughs> as she is being dragged out of the car, you hear Loom- Loomis goes, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> which is like yeah that's that's loomis <laughs> like <laughs> like he thinks it's over and he's like oh what the hell <laughs> um, and the movie goes on a little longer and then it ends she shoots michael in the fucking face yeah and gets covered in blood and then cut to black with her screaming she's screaming right Oh, yeah, she's screaming, you hear sirens or something. I don't remember the sirens, but Loomis gets the shit kicked out of him. She fucking finally defeats Myers. They go out a window, and then she shoots. He tackles her out a window, which is fucking crazy. That was a creepy shot. It was creepy, but, like, this whole thing, it's just so much. It's Halloween, man, you know? Less is more. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm, I'm, I always chop, chalk it up to me just being a bad movie watcher that I can't put all these pieces together. But, I don't know, I feel like, you know, yeah, less is more. Yeah. There's very interesting writing on the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. I'll, I'll put some links down below to the first one here, and then link them to Halloween too. I'll, I'll add some links to that one too. You should there... share to sh- share uh, our friend Sarah Jane's like one star review of Halloween too. Okay, I respect that because mm-hmm. she's great. Uh, a lot of people hate Halloween too, and I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm interested to see how I react because I I remember watching it once, but I was kind of like half watching it. So I I didn't like these when I first saw them. I still don't like this one. I've already spoiled it that I do like Halloween. You too. have, um, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> And then watch me watch it again and be, just be like, oh, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't like this movie, but it's interesting. But it's not really something I ever needed. Yeah, I'll never watch this again. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I might revisit it at some point, but not anytime soon. Sorry, Rob Zombie. I still love things. Do you ever think that sometimes when you watch a movie that it, it might be the last time you watch that movie in your lifetime? And then you die. Oh, wow. Not until this moment, no. I've been thinking that. I was like, some, one of these days will be the last day I ever watch Star Wars. Wow, that's a loaded emotion. Hope everyone's having a happy new year. Oh, yeah. Happy new year. Welcome to 2019. It's not going to get any better. We're <laughs> almost done. It's getting better for us, arguably. We're almost done with humanity. I was just talking about the Halloween retrospective, but that works too. Matt, where can people find you? Um, on Twitter. That's it. <laughs> you can follow me at twitter.com slash D-E-W-G-O Waffles, the Waffle Press. Like and subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back next time to talk Halloween 2. We have been professionally unprofessional. Listen, be careful tonight. A lot of nutcases come out on Halloween. 
boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the boogeyman, Tommy? Halloween night, the boogeyman attacks kids who don't believe. Oh no, Tommy! Boogeyman's gonna get me! I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. He's come back for his baby sister. To do what? 